There are two Bible readings today, uh, the first of which is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. You can follow along uh, on the screen in your leaflets and also in the Blue Church Bibles. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And now the second reading is taken from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8 and likewise can be found on the screen in your leaflets and in the Blue Church Bibles. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, Year 6 group, year 6 to 8, head out to the foyer. Kez is there waiting for you. For the rest of us, let's turn our attention to uh, today's hard words. Ask, seek and knock. You'll find a fairly detailed Uh, outline here. Plus, you'll also find in in the white sheets, there are some questions that you can either use by yourself to take things a little bit further, uh, or your growth groups might be actually deciding that they're going to follow the sermon series, and that is there for you. Now, as uh, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you'll realize that we have been looking at some of the hard words of Jesus. The reason we're doing that is that uh, I suggested a couple of weeks ago that we tend to put Jesus and uh, some of his teaching into a slow cooker. Uh, no matter how tough they are at the start, they all come out with that nice, easy, uh, easily chewed, easily swallowed uh, texture. We looked at Jesus' call to follow me and hopefully saw what a radical thing that was. I don't need to convince you that loving your enemies, our second ser- sermon in the series, uh, is a hard word. 
but last week we looked at the idea that Jesus calls us to faith or to trust. Again, a challenge amid the storms of life. And today we're looking at the topic of prayer. Not because the passages that Tom read for us are particularly difficult to understand, but because when I ask this question, who here thinks they honestly pray enough? Do you feel like you'd put your your hand up in, uh, yeah, yeah, that's me, I've got prayer covered? No, no one's hand is up. No, I didn't think there would be. Uh, I think prayer is one of those things that we wrestle with on many levels. And as we look at it and as we explore into the practices of prayer that many Christians have, if we talked to our friends or our spouses or our kids as little as we talk to God, we would actually have difficulty building any kind of relationship. It's a scary thing. Uh, It's one of the challenges of the modern evangelical, the Bible-believing and teaching church, is that we tend to be people who love God's word, but maybe aren't as good with prayer. We know that we should, but we don't so often do it. Jesus speaks not just about prayer, but about why we don't pray. So he speaks this morning to the discouraged, to the defeated, to the lazy, to the pessimistic, to you and to me. And he tells us to ask and to seek and to knock. So let's pray and ask that he might be doing this. Father, we do pray this morning. Uh, We thank you for the gift of prayer and we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, uh, challenging us, rebuking us, uh, drawing us to the magnificent privilege it is that we might be able to pray to you. And Father, we pray that uh, by your Spirit, uh, empowered by your love and power, we might become more and more a people of prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we actually talk about prayer, it's probably important that we start uh, with the God that we actually pray to, even though the passages that we're looking at this morning are primarily focused around ourselves. Now, I want to test you. Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It's wonderful we have an Orthodox church here. Isn't that great? Christians for 2,000 years plus, have been declaring that we believe that our God created the heavens and the earth. Our God created everything that is from nothing by the power of his word. So as we think about God, we must acknowledge that he is able to deal with the issues of your life. Yes? Okay? That is one thing. And if we doubt that, maybe creation's not big enough for us, let's go to the cross and see that at that time, at that moment, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, God broke the power of sin and death. So not only does he create, he recreates. He brings in the new creation through the gospel. So we have a God who is phenomenally able But we also have a God the gospel tells us and shows us magnificently who is willing. So as we think about God and his power, we don't have a God that is distant, that is 
that doesn't care, that doesn't want to know. We have a God who gave us Christ to show, among other things, just how much he wanted that relationship with us. We should never doubt that God is not only able but willing. And if you look in the passage that Tom read, just a bit before the, the, the parables in uh, Luke 11, you'll see the Lord's Prayer there. How, do we, how does Jesus teach us to pray? First word, Father. Jesus teaches us that this God who creates the heavens and the earth, this God who so loved the world that gave his one and only Son, this God invites us to speak to him as the sa- on the same terms as the Lord Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, invited. So we can never doubt that our God is both able to answer our prayers and willing to hear them. So I ask you, why don't we pray? Why don't we have a life that is just overflowing with prayer? Why isn't prayer just our most natural, instinctive thing? Why is it for so many of us, myself included, that prayer seems so difficult? And I'd like to suggest there's a couple of barriers. Uh, I could list heaps. I'd brainstorm them down on a piece of paper and I just ended up with more than I could possibly deal with. But I wanted to group them under a couple of headings that we can get, sometimes when we think about prayer, we can get God wrong. We can get ourselves wrong. We can actually misunderstand ourselves. Sometimes there are things, there are toxins in our environment, not uh, PBAs or whatever they are, but other things that are in our environment that actually subvert us when it comes to prayer. And we can actually misunderstand prayer itself. So let's work through these. There's a problem. If you've been Christian for more than about two minutes and you've prayed more than about one prayer, you'll know that sometimes God does not answer prayer the way that you want. I know. I know that in my own life. I know that in your lives, as some of you have shared these things with us. As we think about this, as we pray and God doesn't seem to do what we ask, we can come to a conclusion that perhaps God is not willing or perhaps God is not able. But hopefully we see in the gospel that that is never the case. We have to hold the fact that our experience does not change who God is. We've got to go back to the gospel and what it teaches us. But maybe a more serious issue For people like me and maybe like people like you who have a very high view of God as king. Now the Bible teaches us that God reigns and he works out all things according to his purposes. Yes, he does, doesn't he? So why would we bother praying? If God's going to work it out and he's going to do what he wants to do anyway, so why do we pray? You thought about that? Maybe... That's actually what stops you praying. Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. So why would I bother? But brothers and sisters, even though that might be a logical conclusion to draw, it's actually not a biblical conclusion to draw. On a number of occasions, the Bible holds two things that to our minds, our limited minds, seem 
to be in tension, in contradiction, it holds them equally true. And one thing that the Bible presents is that God is both sovereign and we as people can pray to God and that changes things. Neither of those are cancelled out by the other. Let me give you an example. You remember the book of Exodus, you know, people of Israel coming out uh, from, uh, from Egypt, God saving them, and he's doing all these amazing things. Remember this story? Yes? Okay, and uh, they're really appalling. Uh, they get it wrong again and again and again and again and again. And you get the situation where, you know, Moses comes down after getting the Ten Commandments, and what are they doing? They're worshipping idols, saying, this is the God, this calf that we've made is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Eventually, God kind of gets a bit cranky with them uh, and says to Moses, step aside, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start again with you. Do you remember what Moses does at that point? He prays for them. He prays for them and he brings them before God and God relents and changes his purpose. Another time he does this, King Hezekiah. So a bit later on, you have King Hezekiah, Isaiah the prophet sent in to tell Hezekiah that his days are up, put your house in order, you're going to die. Okay, Hezekiah is not very happy about this. And so he prays. And while Isaiah is walking out, the scriptures tell us the Lord tells him to go back and say that the Lord has added, and I think it's from memory, 20 years to Hezekiah's life. Does the Lord answer prayer? The Bible is crystal clear that yes, that he answers prayer and that prayers change things. But the Bible is also crystal clear that God is a sovereign king who works out all things according to his purposes. We've got to hold those two things together. We don't want to cancel them out. So we can get God wrong, but we can also get ourselves wrong. For some of us, Maybe you think that you are too sinful, too insignificant, too flawed, too broken. Who am I to ask God anything? Can I say, that is a spot-on view. (laughs) But your conclusion is wrong. What does the gospel teach us? The gospel teaches us What Jack Miller says so brilliantly, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. You have no grounds of yourself to come before God and ask him anything. Cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. You don't pray on the basis of your ability, your righteousness, your performance. You pray on the basis of Christ's and what he has done. So our sin, our sin should drive us to the throne of grace, not away from the throne of grace. Our inadequacy should highlight the wonders of the gospel. Our sin should encourage us not to sin, but to approach God's throne of grace with confidence because our sin highlights God's grace and sends us to him. 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Never let your weakness, your sin, drive you away. Let it drive you through Christ to the throne. What else? We can underestimate the power of indwelling sin. Sometimes you think, you know, prayer should be easy. Should be easy. And we fail and we get discouraged. Maybe you go away on commencement camp and you've got those times where they set aside, Phoebe, did you set aside times for devotions in the morning? Aren't they brilliant? And you're praying and you've got all over around, you're praying, you come back to normal life and it lasts about two days and then you feel broken and you think, oh, I'm such a failure. We underestimate the fact that sin remains in us. Its power is broken. Its penalty is paid. But it remains. There is weakness in us. And so remember Gethsemane. Jesus goes off to pray and leaves his disciples to pray. And what do they do? They fall asleep. And what does Jesus say? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Don't overestimate your own power. And sometimes we can overestimate our own capacity. We can say, look, I've got this covered, Jesus. I don't need you for this. And if that's you, can I redirect you to last week's sermon? That whole idea of, actually, we've got this under control. Hopefully, I demonstrated to you last week is a complete myth. So we can get God wrong. We can get ourselves wrong. And then there are things in our world, things in our culture, things in our community that undermine our prayer life. One is that we are by nature activists. We love doing things, particularly, uh, probably this might be a little bit more of a male thing. I I can speak for myself. Uh, We love fixing things. Us guys, you girls notice this all the time. You want to share your problems and we've got the answers for you just like that. Does anyone else do that to their wives or their girlfriends or whatever it is, your friends? We want to fix things. We see things and we just want to go and make it better. Okay? And prayer seems like a bit of a waste of time because it's not actually doing anything, is it? Oswald Chambers says it brilliantly like this. He says, we want to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. For us, It's when we've exhausted all our resources and God wants us to go at the front. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results or we think it will. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in his good time because his idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. We have a desire to do And prayer in our thinking may not be doing. What's another thing? Another thing around us are the great ones. Do you know these people? You read about them in biographies. Maybe you're sitting next to one in church. One of these people who, uh, they have these phenomenal prayer lives. One of the guys that does it for me is George Mueller. Uh, Anyone come across George Mueller? This guy used to run orphanages and uh, the story is is that he never asked for anything. He just prayed about it and the Lord delivered it. 
Okay, and he prayed for his friends and they become Christians and he persevered in prayer for 60 years. And one of these guys, the last of them, is converted at his funeral. Mueller is a great one in prayer. Now, I don't know what people like this do to you. For some of us, they inspire us. For some of us, they kind of take the wind out of our sails, don't they? It's kind of like swimming next to the Olympic swimming team. For some of us, we look at the people next to us who are lapping us about, you know, four times as fast as we're going up and down the pool, and we get out after 500 metres and they're going for five kilometres, and we just think, why do I even bother? I could never be like that. We can look at the great ones. We can hear the stories. And you get people who say really maybe unhelpful things, like, I'm really hopeless at this, and then they list an experience or a habit that is so much infinitely superior to what you're doing and you're telling me that you're hopeless at it so what does that make me we had someone up here who said a while ago um i love this guy i'm not going to tell you who it is you probably can work it out said i'm not an evangelist but and then he listed it just a couple of times that the lord used him to share his faith and i'm like well you certainly sound like an evangelist to me uh wonderful encouragement but if you think oh well if he's not an evangelist Oh, I must be hopeless. I'm, I'm like a negative evangelist. I'm, like, what are you in prayer? Like, this person, when I was um, in my third hour of prayer this morning at 4 a.m., like, what? You know, I have trouble with three minutes. And we can be discouraged by it. Sometimes it's not even that. We're just too busy. We live life without margins, without space in our life. And prayer, because there is no deadline for it, because there's no demand for it, because Jesus doesn't walk in and say, where is the prayer for today? We push it aside, don't we? We don't have to get prayer anywhere by a particular time. We don't, want to, uh, we don't have to submit a report about our prayers or anything like that. No one is demanding it from us. And so no time, no deadline, no accountability means no prayer. We just squeeze it out. And busyness is endemic in our society, isn't it? And maybe if you finally find a way to stop and you sit down, one part of you keeps moving. Yes, your brain. It just keeps churning, keeps churning, keeps churning, keeps churning, keeps churning. And we live in a society that more and more is just completely saturated with media. We live in a world that we are just bombarded and we bombard ourselves. We don't deal very well with silence. See how you go driving home. Just drive home without the radio on, without any music playing, without having a conversation. See how well you do. For some people, it drives them insane. I go away every now and again with a group of other pastors, and there's a guy there who just has to be connected. And once we went somewhere, <gasps> that didn't have good mobile phone coverage. And he had to go out and find the spot where he could get his emails because he was so anxious to be plugged in, to know what was happening. That's us. And so we sit down to pray and we're then thinking about our shopping. And we bring ourselves back to prayer and then we're thinking about the assignment that's due. And then we bring ourselves back to prayer and then we think about something with one of the kids or one of our friends or what's happening with the dog or, or whatever. Maybe some stupid song keeps on playing around and around and around your head and you just can't get it out. And it's got nothing to do with Jesus. 
It's got nothing to do with Jesus. I've got a song that plays in my head. My kids inflicted it upon me. It's called The Bushes of Love. Is anyone ever familiar with this? It's a parody. It's a parody of Star Wars. Uh, and, it, and it just plays in my head eternally. It probably doesn't help that it's now my ringtone, but that's okay. You know, it shows you how influenced I am. It sounds really bad, I know, Bushes of Love, but it's got nothing to do with that. It's about a chicken-headed, duck-footed woman yeah, thing that's waiting for it to you know, you can, you can look it up, search it. It's quite funny. And you won't be able to get it out of your head either. So if there's all these barriers to prayer, can I just say Jesus is aware of them and he teaches us how to address them. We've got all these reasons why we don't pray. We can see it as our religious duty. We can have a pragmatic view that I've just got to do something and prayer isn't doing anything. We can expect it to be easy, but Jesus speaks to the issues because he knows that it's hard and he models it for us and he teaches us in it. He tells us in Luke 18, the story of the widow who goes to the unjust judge and begs for justice and he doesn't care about her, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about anything much at all. But at the end of the day, she comes back again and again and again and again and again and he says, if, if, if I don't give her justice, she's going to kill me. You hear that, what Tom said? You know, she's going to attack me. Uh, this woman is persistent. And Jesus here uses a form of argument of how much more. If the unjust judge will give in eventually and give justice, God who is just, who is loving, who is righteous, he will listen, so persevere. When we doubt, when we think that God isn't listening, when we are discouraged because we've prayed, we've asked, and God hasn't given us an answer, or it's not the answer that we want, when we doubt God's willingness, Jesus' teaching is persevere. Talk to someone this week who said their temptation or their, their thing is they, they leave it. They don't want to nag God. So they say, God, I'm going to pray about this once. I'm just going to leave that with you. Jesus is saying, with respect, nag God. He's saying, don't just leave it with God. What's it actually show about our heart if we come back every single day? What does it show about George Mueller to give us a great one that he prayed for his friend for 60 years? 60 years. He really wanted that person to come to know the Lord Jesus. He persevered and perseveres what Jesus is saying. For those perhaps who are maybe timid, reluctant to come before God. He tells another story in Luke 11 of the friend who knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight and says, look, I'm out of bread. Can you help? And Jesus uses the same argument. How much more? There was a duty of of hospitality. The friend would have got out of bed. For him to stay in bed would have been reprehensible because the community had a responsibility to be hospitable to travellers. And if he'll get out of bed because of the outrageous boldness, how much more will God listen to your requests? So keep praying. 
Pray big prayers. Pray prayers that one of the reformers talked about as prayers that God would blush not to answer and keep praying them. Don't just say, oh, look, I've mentioned it once. I'll just leave it with you, Jesus. Jesus is telling us here, go back again and again and again. And for those of us, for those of us who struggle when we don't get exactly what we answer for. I asked you for this and you gave me that. Jesus encourages with another story about fathers giving good gifts to their children. And the family bonds will mean, for those of us who are dads, as if you'd give a snake or a scorpion, like, duh. So how much more is God going to give you what you need? Jesus reassures us that in our discouragement and our questioning, actually, Jesus, I want this. Jesus will give, the Father will give the greatest gift of them all, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, who Paul tells us, helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. The the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Father and the Son with the Spirit, come and live with us. God doesn't give us stuff in prayer. He gives us himself. So why? Why does God seem to say no to good things? If he says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock And the door will be opened. Why does it seem that we can ask and not receive? Seek and not find. Knock and not have the door opened. Why is it that we beg for a yes and get a no? One may be, I want to give you three answers here. One may be our limitations. We have our scope, our spectrum. God sees that bigger picture. God knows actually what is not only best for us, but what is best for how things work out. God knows what is the thing that is going to give him glory in the max. Dallas Willard says this. He says, the great advantage of prayer is that it not be a fail-safe mechanism. It's not a, I ask for this, I get this. And Willard identifies that this is actually an advantage. Why? We do not know enough, he says, and our desires are not perfect enough for us to be safely given everything we want and ask for. It's as simple as that. Not saying this is the case in every situation, But sometimes it's a little bit like the kid wanting ice cream for dinner every night. And as parents, we know actually that's not a very good thing. It's an occasional food, okay? This is not a way of actually blessing you. But you sit there and think, well, okay, that's not me. What else could it be? James tells us that sometimes prayers aren't answered because our motives are wrong. James 4. You don't have because you don't ask God, James writes. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
The next verse says, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What he's saying is sometimes when we ask for a good thing, it's to serve our own wants, desires, not to seek God. It's like going to your husband, going to your wife and asking for some money so you can meet up with your lover on the side. Sometimes our motives are wrong. I was reading, I think it's Charles Finney, an old preacher, was asked about this issue, asked about uh, why God hadn't saved the husband of a lady who had prayed faithfully year after year after year. And, And she comes to him after a sermon on prayer and says, why not? And when he dug around what she was asking for, the reason why she wanted her husband to come to faith was because that would make life a lot easier for her. Can you see how the motive, it was actually all about her. And he lovingly corrected her at that point. Don't know what happened to the wife, don't know what happened to the husband, but sometimes our motives aren't what God would choose. And so he's actually trying to teach us to redirect us. And sometimes the answer has to simply be, God in his sovereign purposes has chosen not to answer this. And we must accept that. Jesus in Gethsemane prayed, the Son of God, perfect man, prayed, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. And it didn't. God in his purposes is working things out. So why? Why sometimes does he seem to say yes to them, but no to me? We're both asking for the same thing. They get the thumbs up. I get the thumbs down. Why? It's a related question, but we're never given specifics. And so I have to say, I have absolutely no idea. God does not generally reveal the details of those things. But what we can say is that whatever situation you find yourself in, God is at work in it. Romans 8.28 tells us that in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the situation you are desperately praying will go away. God is at work in it. God is at work for your good and for his glory. John chapter 9, there's a story of a man born blind. The disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus' answer, you might remember, neither. This was so God's glory might be seen. God has purposes. The book of Job tells us there are not often answers given. Sometimes we must acknowledge that God is God and trust him. So when things are turned back, when we don't get answers that we long for, when God seems to be silent, can I encourage you to prayerfully reflect perhaps your motives. Look at them. Ask God to show. Ask God to give you perseverance. Ask 
seek and knock. Some of you will wonder whether prayer does anything at all. I want to ask a question. So when you sit down with your BFF, your best friend forever, when you have a chat, does it do anything? Do we have a utilitarian view of prayer? It's like uh, going in and handing in your shopping list and coming back and expecting the trolley to be filled. Or do we actually have a view that prayer is actually fundamentally about a relationship that God has established through the gospel? And so as we spend time with God in prayer, it's not about doing anything. It's actually about relating to our Father who loves us so much. Brothers and sisters, do we have the wrong view of prayer? Kierkegaard, some of you might know him, the Danish guy, I think. He said the function of prayer is not to influence God. We're not trying to move God. But as we pray, it changes the nature of the one who prays. So persevere in prayer. And you will find that your heart will begin to reflect the Father's heart. That as the spirit that he has promised you works in your life, he will transform you to be more and more like Christ. So as we wrap up, can I encourage you? I know for many, prayer is hard. Prayer is a challenge. I know for some of us, the most we pray is just those moments as we think about it during the day, we just shoot up what Colin Buchanan calls an arrow prayer and you send one to the heavens. And that's great, can I say? That's part of that habit of praying continually, praying about everything and everything that come, anything and everything that comes up during your day, as it does. And sometimes it's really great to stop and pray about something then and there. But can I encourage you to think about the practice of prayer that Jesus had? He withdrew from people to set aside time, deliberate, systematic time with his father. And I believe that if we prayerfully and humbly seek to be obedient to his word, to ask, to seek, to knock, it will transform us. A couple of years ago, a guy called Bill Hybels. Has anyone heard of Bill Hybels? Yeah, a few nods there. Willow Creek Church, massive church, tens of thousands in America. They worked out that they were really good at doing church stuff. They were really bad at actually making disciples of Jesus. They worked out that people weren't growing in their faith. So they went and did a whole bunch of research about it. What makes Christians grow in their faith? Something that we at Trinity Hills are committed to seeing. And Surprise, surprise, two of the key results were, number one, the Bible, absolutely critical at every stage of Christian life, is that God's people are in God's word, reflecting on it and what it means in their life. And the other thing, number two, is, any guesses? Prayer. It's not rocket science, is it? It's amazing that they show, it's not amazing at all, they show that what the scriptures teach us is exactly how it works on the ground. And so as we actually long to grow more like Christ, the two greatest gifts he's given us is his word and the gift of prayer. 
So can I encourage you that maybe you've fallen out of those good habits. Maybe you've never had those good habits. Maybe you've always just gone through your life, prayer here, prayer there, prayer somewhere else. That's great, but there are some kinds of prayer that you don't do on the fly. Reflection and confession, hard to do on the run. Adoration, at any kind of level, praising God for who he is and what he's done, it's hard to do on the fly. You can thank God for stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, thanks. Oh, that's good. I've got a car park or it's a beautiful day or lovely cup of coffee or whatever. You can ask God for stuff as it comes across, but you generally won't ask for things that aren't just immediately in front of you. Can I encourage you to think about seven minutes, seven days a week? So if you're out of the habit, some of you will have routines you're already in. Keep going with those. I'm going to speak to the people who find the whole prayer Bible thing. Where do you fit it? Start small. If you want to get fit, you don't think, I'm going to run a marathon. It doesn't work. I've done it. Not quite a marathon, but I went for a run the other day. I uh, got about a third of the way around it and ended up having to walk home over Germantown Hill, which was really, really ugly. Uh, and I was dehydrated and I was hurting. And it wasn't really very good. Start small. Walk around the block. Don't run the marathon. And you'll find that as you walk around the block, you'll go faster and you'll go further and you'll go longer. Pray about the things that are first and foremost things you care about. There's all this stuff that we know we should pray about. But unless you care about it, you're not going to persist in those prayers. If you're a parent, start with your kids. If you don't, can't pray about them, what can you pray about? And then you will find that God will increase the circle of your affection. And the more time you spend in his word and in prayer, you'll find that you do care about the word going out in Trinity Northeast. And you will care about what's happening overseas in Syria. And you will care about what's happening with your brothers and sisters here in church. And you will care about the salvation of your neighbors because you will care about the things that God cares about. But don't try and run the marathon up front. Build habits slowly, but do it realistically. Encourage one another. Seven minutes, seven days. I'm going to pray, and then I think we're going to spend a bit more time praying. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift that you have given us. You've called us your children. We are your sons and daughters. You've given us access to the throne of grace. Lord, we do ask that you would make us people who love you and want to spend time in prayer with you. You would make us disciplined. You would help us to see the phenomenal priority of our relationship with you over all other things. You would help us to be an encouragement to one another. Father, make us a people of prayer. And in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.